Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You know that you're talking to a famous person. A pre-famous. They're going to be famous. <laughs> They're pre-famous. <laughs> pre-packaged that. fame. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Pre-famous. That's great. We're going we're gonna to adopt that. I like yeah, that. you don't know the sun's going to rise, but there's a very good chance it will. Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited. I am too. Yes. You know who might be even more excited than us, though, even though we are very excited, is our Shandies. Because mm. let me tell you, when we came out with our first Love is Blind recap uh, earlier in April, it was our first time ever watching or recapping Love is Blind, everyone was like, you must get Dr. Honda. It was not optional. Yeah, it was our most liked YouTube comment of the season. <laughs> yes. He is both a therapist and professor. He has a doctorate in psychology and a master's in marriage and family therapy, making him, I think, very qualified as a yeah, therapist. expert witness. Yes. But he is known especially for his therapist reacts breakdowns of reality TV and high profile relationship dynamics on his famed YouTube channel, Psychology in Seattle. We are so excited, Dr. Kirk Honda, that you could join us today. Hello, Shandies. So, Dr. Honda, today we're going to start nice and easy asking you about the psychoanalysis of reality TV. We want to know from you, what is your favorite thing about watching couples meet, date, fall in love, all the things on TV? And what is your least favorite? Well, I think my favorite thing, since I'm a hopeless romantic, is that I really enjoy watching people fall in love, meet each other, and seemingly have a happy relationship. Um, I cry during those moments. You know, it's nice. It's nice to see. Yeah. Rom-coms, they always get me at the wedding scene. I, I don't, you know, what are you going to do? My least favorite thing about watching when the show lies to us. That's my least favorite part of watching. I'm having a strong reaction to that. I totally agree. I don't like feeling misled. Yeah. Well, the whole premise is that it's, you know, based at least we understand there's massaging of the truth or editing, but to just flat out misrepresent and fabricate storylines is it ruins it. You know, there's enough drama there to show us and to lie to us makes us feel like, well, how much of it is lies that I've been paying attention to? And then it just kind of ruins the enjoyment. It's funny you say that because I feel like after the reunion, that was what kind of miffed us the most. And of course, all the show, they all lie to us in different ways, but was sort of like having couples come in and be like, well, actually what happened was this and what you didn't see was this, you know, you sort of feel like, well, then what did I just watch? Can you give us an example or two of the ways in which you have felt lied to, which is, you know, what, what bugs you the most? Yeah. When they seemingly edited it in a way that made it look like Jackie had cheated on Marshall. Mm -hmm. uh, and then later she came out and said, they 
edited that funny. And then you're thinking, well, who knows? But then Marshall comes out and actually confirms that seemingly. So, you know, that, that kind of thing. Plus, uh, Jackie didn't need the internet to hate her more. <laughs> so I felt yeah, like that, that was unkind. And mm. also, again, there's enough drama there. The, the drama of Jackie and Marshall breaking up and Jackie uh, rekindling a relationship with Josh. Um, that's dramatic in and of itself. You don't mm. have to fabricate details to, um, you know, make it more exciting. I mean, I agree. Yeah, I wonder why they felt the need to do that, because the narrative was enough. Yeah. We didn't need to know whether it was the day after or during or before yeah. or a week. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It felt it felt like they were just kicking someone when they were down. Yeah. And I don't understand why they couldn't have just allowed the story to stand on its own. Mm. It yeah. seems like poor a poor production choice, in mm. my opinion. For me, yeah. the the lie that got me was um Kwame and Chelsea. You know, they it's been over a year, they seem happy, and we know of course the scenes that they showed were real but i also feel like they purposely omitted the happier moments Mm -hmm. so that all we really had to work with were the negative ones and i think everyone in their right mind would be like well these two are terrible together based on what we were shown so it was sort of like lying by omission right okay so i want to talk about i mean this is sort of a selfish question because i was on the bachelor uh, many years ago now but i've long believed that part of why a contestant I don't want to say why, but, you know, a factor in how they fall in love or think they're falling in love is a feeling of specialness. So especially in The Bachelor, you know, where there's 30 women, suddenly there's 15 women, 10 women, five women, this feeling of feeling singled out, you're special, you're different from the rest, uh, sort of lends itself to feeling like you see something with this person that maybe if you were out in the real world, you wouldn't necessarily feel. And I think the same could go for Love is Blind or really any of these shows. You know, they're choosing each other. They're both lasting on this show longer because they've chosen each other. Do you think there's something to this belief that I've had for the last nine years? Are you saying that when people go on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, that um, if you just met the contestants in the real world, you might find some compatibility, but the fact that you are vying for their attention and for their love and for them to choose you mm-hmm. out of a lot of other people, it, it could raise your the intensity of your feelings. You know, you don't you're not manufacturing like, oh, you know, he chose me, therefore I must. It's just a compelled feeling from within you of uh, sort of a an accentuated love or attraction to that individual because they did choose you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's not that there's absolutely nothing there and it's simply because you feel chosen, but it's all amplified by the fact that you're looking around you. I mean, I felt this. I got the, you know, the first impression rose on my season. I went into it thinking, what am I doing here? I did it on a lark. This is, I was having a third life crisis and, you know, it was the craziest thing I ever did. And then I get this first impression rose, which meant that he you know, I don't know, liked me the best on night one or something. And I immediately saw him differently because I felt special. I felt like he saw me. I felt like suddenly everything, you know, everything I believed or a lot of my skepticism was sort of turned on its head. So do you, would you agree then? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever really emphasized that part of it on Love is Blind. And I maybe even 90 Day Fiance because I react to that as well. And just in life, right, that we want to feel loved 
And when we feel loved or at least wanted, it's a good feeling. And then we associate that human being with that good feeling. And we all understand through a lot of research that when we have good feelings, we filter everything through that lens typically. You know, like if you have, that's why commercials try to make you have a good feeling or try to have you have some positive feeling because they're trying to associate that good feeling with that product. And then you see the product on the shelf at the store and you have a positive association and you're a, a lot more likely to purchase it. Um, so on one hand, I think that that's an interesting phenomenon that I hadn't really thought about that uh, from behind the scenes for you, that that is informative. I think another element to this is that for some people, because of their relational traumas growing up, they don't have a lot of acceptance or love or a feeling like they're worth it. And they might be very, very wanting of that, obviously, because they've never felt that way. And to have somebody uh, not only say that they're worthy, but they're more worthy than others around them might be particularly seductive against their own judgment, right? You could imagine mm -hmm. someone who is normally not really compatible with this person. If they really checked in with themselves, they're like, yeah, I'm not really, I don't really want to be with this person, but they're clouded by that need to finally have someone consider them worthy. In fact, more worthy than others. Mm. Mm. Just taking a slightly different perspective. When someone falls in love in life, usually you think of them falling in love with someone based on, you know, physical, attraction, personality, um, similarities, uh, smells, <laughs> yeah. some compatibilities. Yeah. Yeah. We were joking while we, recapping this, that there should have been like, a, what do you call it? A glory hole. So you could just smell each other, yeah. touch each other. <laughs> it's still blind. It's still blind, <laughs> technically. But on these shows, I feel like there's another element. There's a fourth dimension to love, which is the subconscious or conscious understanding that there is money and fame mm. attached to this process and possibly, you know, the, your successful navigation of this process. In real life, people do often marry for money or for fame or for power. And my question to you, and this is more a broad psychological question, but is can love, like chemical love, be manifested with the desire for money or fame? Or is chemical love really just about the person, the smells, the physical, the compatibility, all that stuff? Mm. Because on these shows, I sometimes feel, and I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a cynical person in general, but I sometimes feel like some of these relationships, even if they last, even if they last, even if they have children sometimes, I'll go that far, I do believe that an element of it that cannot be extricated is that there was this extra level of love that was created by these non-traditional love elements. Yeah, a dowry involved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bonus, a signing bonus. A sign <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the Shandies, uh, I see why they like you because I see why they're Shandies because y'all are smart. I, I hadn't really oh, thank you. emphasized that as well. Uh, the research area that is more robust along these lines is that we, in general, regardless of money and fame, will tend to be attracted. And there's a lot of factors that play into attraction, of course, but we tend to be attracted to people who we perceive to be, quote unquote, on our level, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. It could be socioeconomic uh, or it could be an exchange of I, I provide socioeconomic prestige or 
um, you know, I'm, I'm up there with that or I'm above you, but you're above me in looks, that kind of thing. And mm. you can look towards famous examples of those, you know, uh, being manifested, but we want people who are like us. We tend, you know, it's not true that opposites attract actually similar attracts. Mm -hmm. Our, our differences tend to be accentuated because those are the noticeable things. And it's, I think kind of a romantic idea that opposites attract, but uh, we tend to attract similarity. So we're either looking for someone that is seemingly at our level or above our level. And mm. what is a, what is level, right? So it's, it's societal. There's really no concrete definition of that. And it changes over the years and through culture and time. So when you're on these shows, you could imagine, Andy, based on what you're saying, I hadn't thought of this, that you're, you know that you're talking to a famous person, a pre-famous. They're going to be famous. They're pre-famous, <laughs> pre-packaged pre fame. Yeah. I love that. Pre-famous. That's great. We're going we're gonna to adopt that. I like yeah, that. you don't know the sun's going to rise, but there's a very good chance it will. Right. And you know that you might be famous as well, but you definitely know that if you don't meet someone, you're not going to be famous. Right. So uh, it's a mutual pre-fame comparison that could actually, and an answer to the other question you have is, you know, is it real? And yeah, the answer, because the other uh, examples you can point to are two famous actors who it's like, why does that happen so often? And why is it so odd when you have an actor, like a really famous actor, like Keanu Reeves or something who marries someone that's relatively unknown. It, it feels odd to us, right? The reason mm -hmm. why it feels odd is because it's, it's not typical. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and again, people might accuse these couples of just marrying because of the fame and the notoriety. But, you know, I suspect that it they were in love and it did feel there's a lot. Again, there's a lot of other factors mm -hmm. smelling each other through the glory hole, for example. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it really brings up ideas of smartphones, you know, like smell, smell a phone or something where you can mm. actually. Yeah. My bright left idea. just. It's based on smell. And we've actually done those those studies. We'll take sweaty shirts from each other and put it in people's face and see, are you attracted to this person prior to meeting them? And, uh, and you know, there's a signal there. It's not all the time. But anyway, point is, is that um, there's a lot of factors. But yeah, you can imagine that that being a, an attractive factor that causes people to literally feel more in love. But really, I think what happens in, in the Love is Blind format is you're sitting there for 16 hours a day on a comfortable couch drinking wine and having all your food given to you. And there's no distractions. There's no phones. There's no work. And you're just in this cocoon of of warmth and comfortability. And you just hear this voice. And and the other thing is you're alone. You don't mm -hmm. have any of your people. So you're deprived. Yes. Of, any kind, you're deprived of your pets. I mean, I can't imagine being away from my animals, you know, and you're just sitting there on a couch and then there's a familiar voice. You start to become more familiar with them. They seem compatible and they seem to be into you. And you're like, oh my God, what's happening? And I think that really amplifies things clearly yeah. because a number of them do end up getting married and staying married. That's an interesting point because in torture, they find that that you can do like waterboarding or like, you know, cracking someone's knuckles, not cracking, breaking, <laughs> cracking <laughs> knuckles, not that bad. I, that would be pretty sad if you gave away the secrets or like crack your knuckles. Okay, fine. This is where it's hidden. But I think that sensory deprivation is the most powerful 
tool in torture and it's been proven you can do whatever you want but when you take away all the senses i mean in this case it's obviously more nuanced but if you take away someone's senses they will talk eventually because that is the worst nightmare and i do believe that that element of it exactly like you were saying is what's driving them to like just jump into this Mm. do you agree about the sense yeah i hadn't thought about that either The, the you know sensory deprivation aspect of it and how difficult you know it it there's been contestants on the show who have come forward saying that um, they were mistreated. And you just wonder if, and, and some of those contestants, they didn't meet anybody mm. so came forward to the press. So you just wonder if that was another factor is they left uh, or f- halfway through, they just felt like they were in a isolation cell in a prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never frozen, always fresh. That's what factor does. So get some for yourself. <laughs> Uh, take that back to the woodshed. I feel like you weren't really sure where that was going when you started it. I had no idea. But it's about time Factor got its own jingle Agreed. because we love us some Factor. Let me tell you something. I had a mushroom marsala. Yeah. Okay, let's be honest. A lot of people are like, eh, mushroom marsala. <laughs> Trust me, it was excellent. And it takes a lot of love and a lot of prep to make a mushroom marsala really good. And they did it. Mm -hmm. And it's delivered to my home. Yeah. Factor delivers delicious meals directly to your door that are never frozen. They live in your fridge. And by the way, they last a while because they're air sealed, right? So it's not like you have to eat it within 48 hours or something like that, which is comforting. And I heated up this mushroom marsala for you. That's all I had to do. I, I just put it in the oven. And then put it on a plate for you so you didn't know it was from Factor. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I was like, wow. I tried so- to take credit for this mushroom marsala. But you were like, whoa, this is amazing. It has that restaurant taste. And the variety also must be discussed. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are prepared by legit chefs. You can tell that this is made by real chefs. Oh, yeah. It's not people just with recipes. It's love. Someone with an ego. There's, yeah. a, there's, there's somebody in the kitchen who's making these. If you tell him it's not good, he's going to get angry. Yeah. And they are approved by dietitians. So they have options for everyone, whether you're just watching your calories or you're keto, you want lots of protein, or maybe you're vegan. Mm-hmm. You know, some of this stuff is really complicated to make on your own, to just go it alone at home. It is super convenient. And I've noticed there are factor boxes floating around the city, mm-hmm. a couple in our lobby yeah. that are not ours. Yeah, we, it's taken off. And it yeah. says a lot that people have continued to order it, by the way. Once you go factor, you don't go back. Mm-mm. Do you want to be the person who's like, oh yeah, I'm doing Factor, but everyone else does it? Or do you want to be the person who's like, I was doing Factor way before you even knew about it? (laughs) And they offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door. And there's more. (laughs) They feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Unreal. Mm -hmm. I didn't need more. I was good. So head to factormeals.com. That's F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S.com slash Shandy40 and use code Shandy40 to get a whopping 40% off your first box. That's code Shandy40 at factormeals.com slash Shandy40 to get 40% off your first box. So Andy, just as we were about to start recording this ad for Lomi, what just happened? The monthly exterminator call came to our door. Yes. He knocked and he said, do you need an exterminator? Mm -hmm. And I proudly said, no, we do not. Yes, because... We have a Lomi. Yes, which means that we put all of our food scraps and that goes into the Lomi, which is a countertop electric composter. And with a press of a button, it turns all of that food waste, which otherwise would have gone to landfill and turned into methane over time. Instead, it turns it into soil, which you then sprinkle on your plants on the roof deck. I feel like Johnny Appleseed. 
Except with dirt. (laughs) And um, the reason why this ties into the exterminator thing is we have found, because, you know, we live in New York City. Our building is well over 100 years old. This is the stuff happens. We have had mice before. But since getting the loamy and putting all that food waste in the loamy, it doesn't go in the garbage, which means that you don't have just food rotting in the apartment that mice and critters are attracted to. And honestly, it's been so long since I've seen a mouse. I almost miss them. (laughs) They were cute, but I, I prefer to see mice not in our apartment. I agree. Yes. I agree for the most part. And aside from the obvious positive environmental impact, meaning, you know, all that food waste doesn't turn into methane, just from the standpoint of garbage bags, we take out, I would say, a third of the garbage bags we used to because our garbage bags are lighter. They're, they're less- so light. I used to dread taking the garbage out because I was like, oh, this is going to be like, it's like going to the gym. Yeah. It's so like all like wet and yeah, heavy and, and you're worried. Stinky. Like I'll go down. It's like a race to the garbage. So I'm like, is this bag going to break? Yeah. Or is something going to drip out? Everywhere. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. Really. But now it's just like, I can literally carry a garbage bag in my teeth and one in each hand. <laughs> and I just want to emphasize how satisfying it is to take all those nutrients mm. in that wasted food that would just go right in the garbage and right in landfill, as you discussed, and put it back into the soil, which then nourishes plants more than they would without it. So true. It really does feel like it's what nature intended. This is how it's supposed to happen. So whether you want to make a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden like Andy's, Lomi is perfect for you. Go to Lomi.com slash Shandy and use code Shandy to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com. That's L-O-M-I.com slash Shandy and use promo code Shandy. Thank you. Lomi for sponsoring this episode. God, we're really going off script, by the way. I have questions for you, but I was really hoping this would flow like a conversation. So the idea that, you know, you talked about you're alone in this room and you're you're comforted by this voice, but there's also the confessionals or in the bachelor world, we call them ITMs. It stands for in the moment. And you have to speak in full sentences in present tense so that they can use it wherever. And you spend hours hours a day in this room and you know the higher ups all figure out which producer you're responding the best to you know what who gets the best answers out of you so you start being like linked with this one producer a lot over time and so while the bachelor doesn't take away any of your senses really they do deprive you of you know any connection to the outside world your phones your pets the internet books music anything that could distract you and really your only outlet is this room with this producer where you're encouraged to talk about your feelings for the lead most of the time you can go off on little tangents, but if you go too far off in a tangent, they're like, so let's bring this back to. And so I think it is interesting that, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm looking for the parallels, but I feel like in the bachelor world, it's really that room is where a lot of the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of your feelings can be sort of contorted into something more than maybe they necessarily are. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on that before I move on to my next question? Well, so are you saying that similar to Love is Blind with The Bachelor? There's one, your one person is literally one person to every, it's the same person for everyone. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. So not really in the beginning, there's several, but then as time goes on, like I, I made it reasonably far in my season. And then by then I was only doing ITMs with one producer, uh, but in the beginning there was a handful. And then as you're being, uh, questioned, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) By this this one person. Interrogated. There. There's a, uh, a a subtle pressure, if you will, uh, an expectation that uh, they're looking for 
affectionate statements from oh, you about it's the not lead? subtle yeah. okay you could say it's almost like an interrogation or or brainwashing <laughs> yeah it's like a re-education camp that's what it reminded me. when you told me about it that's what it reminded me of because mm. they they ask you basically until you cry eventually <laughs> and i feel like it's just it's like you know do you support the current party the political party and you're like no i don't this is terrible and then they asked them again. And they was like, we'll come back in 10 hours after you haven't eaten and drank. And then we'll ask you again. And we're going to ask you again until you say you support us. And then you're going to be good. And when you do that, you're like, I do love the party. The party is good. <laughs> yeah. You're officially brainwashed. A, and I do think a lot of that happens. Yeah, that's a little extreme. But have, do you watch the show Severance? Or have you yeah. seen? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you loved it. I did. Yeah. Okay, good. So you're 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 in good company. That scene where she has to apologize reminded me a bit of it. You know, mm. when she has to apologize, but she has to mean it. <laughs> yeah. And it takes hours, you know, yeah. and she's yeah. like losing it. But that reminds end. you that reminds you of what you went through. No, 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 so, no, no, oh. no. Like that's like, a you know, obviously an extreme example. So nowhere near that. But I'll put it this way. After my first one on one date, which was in Seoul, I was handed off between like three different producers in my ITM and I wasn't, I don't think effusive enough. This is just what I'm gathering just because I don't see why this ITM needed to last as long as it did. You know, I, I don't, I think I was, I wasn't saying key things like I can picture myself falling in love with Juan Pablo. I, I really think I could, you know, see him as the future, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yeah, it was a good date, but I was passed off to, Two other producers, and after the second one, who was another man, I was told, like, oh, we need to get a woman in here. They thought that having a, a female producer would help the situation. And then the next day, I had to put on the outfit again, go into a room, so we're not on the location of the date anymore, and I had to go through it all over again. That was earlier in the experience. You know, you start to learn over time that you can quicken move things along and get back to your life and go eat or go nap or go do whatever you want to do with your day. If you just sort of tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. And when you leave the show, you can't claim that they forced you to say anything. They, exactly. Because it's not overt. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the term we might use is behavioral shaping in which mm. will actually uh, provide the subject, the target with rewards and punishments based on uh, what you're looking for, what you're, the behavior you're trying to shape, the habit you're trying to shape in the end. And we do this to, you know, rats in the, in the lab, but humans, we do it to ourselves all the time. And I'm, I'm just going to take a guess and say that they know what they're doing because they've been doing it mm -hmm. for so long. Yeah. And that's fascinating. I did not know that they did that. That's really interesting. I mean, they might believe they're being altruistic because, you know, people that stay together after the show, they might've felt like they played a role and, you know, friends might do this like, yeah, but he's a really great guy. You know, we, we do this all the time when we're trying to, you know, I guess I'm trying to look on the bright side of, of things, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's a version of reeducation, what you're talking about. It's mm. it, it, uh, yeah. So another thing that I've been advocating for as I watch more and more reality TV is that one, there be, regulations and or unionization or both and two that a part of that is that there's a pre-education for people of like here's you know, like an outside independent source of 
education and advocacy of, you know, here's what might happen. Here are ways in which you can protect yourself. Here's what to, here's what's to, to watch out for. Maybe even have observers and they go up to the people and say, you can't do that. Like that's, that's crossing the line because right. the, the psychological elements of the show are, you know, are either purposely or accidentally created such that it has a brainwashing or detrimental effect to, to a lot of people. It really convinces you to, to do things that you would never have done normally. Now, sometimes it's all fine and good, but sometimes it's not so great. It sounds like for you, it was, uh, uh, well, what was it? Was it damaging <laughs> to you or, or was it uh, just like an annoyance? I would say it falls more in annoyance mm -hmm. territory, just in that I don't think I did anything out of character, really. There was one time I was really forced to do something, and I wasn't thrilled about that. But other than that, that was my big takeaway. And actually, it's funny you say that. This one event, it was this one group date activity thing. Oh, no, it was a pool party. Pool party. <laughs> the legendary oh, pool boy. party. I'm probably the only Bachelor contestant in history who <laughs> cried when I heard there was a pool party. But in my ITM that day, the producer was like, don't you think you should just, you know, enjoy it, enjoy this experience for what it is, like, let it all go. And I said, the, my number one thing is I want to be able to look back on this and recognize myself. But I thought it was interesting that that was his argument. It's like, you're here now, like, just, just do it, just get into it. And I wonder, I, I couldn't help but wonder how often that worked. I can but, see it uh, working all the time. Yeah. I mean, because. Yeah. When uh, we like to think of ourselves as autonomous creatures, but we're not, we are very influenceable, particularly under extreme circumstances, like being cut off from your support system, deprived of other kinds of control. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, without um, being draconian about it, little by little, by the time you're on the show, your freedoms are extremely stripped away. I'm, I'm guessing you can walk off if you want to, but so you're not like a, a prisoner, but little by little, there's just little things that you find yourself doing little freedoms. You start giving up. Mm. You can't spend your time really the way you, you can't go to the bathroom when you want. I don't know, like it, it, whether they know it or not, that aspect of learned helplessness and, and just getting under one's skin is a well-known tactic of breaking people down essentially. Well, you called it a cocoon. I know you were talking about the pods, but even the cocoon of that environment, as an adult, I don't remember the last time before that, other than school, like maybe college had a bit of that feeling, but where you're just like, you're cared for. And it just feels like there's a bunch of adults in the room who will look after you as long as you behave yeah. properly. You know what I mean? It, it kind of reverts you back to this childlike state. Yeah. And you feel important. You, you feel, feel important. like, like a, a child whose parents love them. Yeah. And you're talking about your feelings all the time. Like I remember when I left the show, I immediately got back together with my ex, which by the way, a lot of people do. And after being back with him for a couple of months, he was like, don't take this the wrong way, but you're talking about yourself a lot. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was when it really hit me. You know, it happened months after that. It really hit me how it had really affected me mm -hmm. psychologically is that I was I was more self-absorbed than I had been months prior. Hmm. And so anyway, that's just a kind of non sequitur. But anyway, no, that's that's fascinating. I mean, that that is fascinating. And I think that points to 
disconnection in our current society in some level because um that feeling and i've often thought about that as well the the feeling of just being on the side of the pods of love is blind with the other 14 people on your side the the feeling of and i'm pretty sure they sleep in a hotel at night they don't just sleep in a compound but um, at the very least you're, you're spending a lot of time you're at camp you know a lot of these people become best friends when they're mm. on their side of the pot which you could absolutely imagine i mean i i've spent time as a professional working in camps with kids and i'll see kids that don't know each other and 48 hours later they're best friends for life just mm-hmm. just being at a camp for two days imagine for 10 days how close you would be and how uh you know because on our disconnected lives your best friend you might see once every month for a couple mm-hmm. hours mm-hmm. in the midst of a, a a very chaotic situation like at a restaurant or something and that opportunity to actually feel heard and understood and connected uh, you're you're in this you're in the same boat you don't have the pressures yeah i could imagine that being very attractive mm. so what you just said brought me finally back on track with our questions because one Shandy, we, we pull our shandies always whenever we have a hot topic guest like yourself on. And they really came through with questions for you. They're very excited about you, like I said. One of them wants to know if you believe bonding over a traumatic event seems to expedite a relationship. And then my follow-up question based on that was, therefore then, do you think when a couple bonds on a show like Love is Blind, they're bonding over some sort of trauma? Uh, it's a complicated question. So... On one hand, might two people bond as they open up about their traumas, whatever we, however we, we define it, mm-hmm. their sadnesses, their losses, their difficulties, their childhood difficulties, and have that bond be false, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, but I think uh, more likely is that humans crave realness and connection and mutual dependence. You know, we, we want to depend on each other. We want someone to need us and we want to need them and we want them to reciprocate when we need, we want them to rise to the occasion when we express need from them. And, you know, if you're constantly happy and everything's always good and there's no opportunity for that to be tested, then that's one level of relationship. But, you know, a, a relationship is really, Put to the test when you're vulnerable and you show that you're sad about something or um, that you've had a loss that, uh, you know, you open yourself up. And when you do that and the person responds well enough, then you know that the person can be depended upon because we all want that. Mm. So that's the second thing I'll say. The third thing I'll say is there's a fair amount of stigma still around trauma and talking about one's vulnerability. We, We understand that. And it's uh, in the past or in certain circles, it's just a general blanket stigma of just like, stop talking about your feelings, you're self-absorbed, you're, you're weak, you need to be strong, those kind of messages. Well, as we start to emerge out of that, there are still echoes of that. And I hear that when people talk about trauma bonding, it's not trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is technically it's Stockholm syndrome, but people will use it as a term as people will bond over trauma. And my sense is when people talk about that and the tone they use of it, the negative connotations they have around it is echoes of trauma shaming, essentially, and and emotion shaming. They'll be like, oh, look at them. They're trauma bonding. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? That's, that's called real relationship. And if two people mm-hmm. want to 
bond over their difficulties. Like, what's it to you? Mm. Mm. Okay. So do you think that dating on TV can make a relationship less or more likely to succeed? Or do you think it really has no impact? And I can word this differently by asking if you had met your, your wife's name is Stacy, correct? Correct. Okay. So if you had met Stacy in this setting, let's say love is blind. Do you think that everything about your relationship, like you ending up married and all happily married, all the things, do you think that would have happened in the same way? Uh, huh. I don't know. I've never thought about that. Y'all ask interesting questions. Um, I'll take it. I would like to think so. Same, same with us. We've talked about this and we feel the same way. But I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know. I could see her getting annoyed with how much I yammer all the time. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm kind of a Paul, as you can tell. I answer questions in long form. Mm. So I don't know how a sexy that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. I love it when someone can say they don't know, by the way. It's one of my yeah. favorite traits. I don't know if it's yeah. a trait, but I think it says a lot about a person when they're like, I don't know. I think it's some of the interviews I've seen with some of the most powerful people when they say, I just saw De Niro interview the other day and he was asked a question and he said a strong, I don't know. And it was, <laughs> it actually was my favorite part of the interview because <laughs> there's something sort of appealing about seeing someone who knows their profession and, and is so powerful. It's just so expert just being like, I don't know that. Mm. So that question is something to think about for yourself. <laughs> okay. I want to like circle back a bit to the ethics because we just released where we were behind with love is blind season four. We just released our finale recap. It started after the bachelor wrapped. We were just, we just fell more and more behind. <laughs> we just mm. went at our own pace, but we've since heard that Irina told production she didn't want to go to Mexico with Zach. She she wasn't interested. And they persuaded her to stay. And if she had left, basically, she has to get permission to leave. And if she leaves without permission, she owes them five fifty. sorry, $50,000. Yeah. And so even though she had expressed discomfort, she got the ick from him. She felt uncomfortable, unsafe. You know, she described this in many ways around him. Uh she was still put in a position where she had to go and have like a romantic getaway with him sleeping in the same bed and all these things. Do you think the ethics of producing reality TV need to change? Yeah. It's hard to know how the conversation went, mm. but you can imagine these producers, these handlers being very adept as you might be able to uh, attest to the subtlety of communication, the, uh, you know, refraining from saying certain phrases like you must, or you don't have a choice. Um, it's sort of like police interrogation. They uh, can't say, you know, once you say, I, I don't want to talk, I, I need to talk to a lawyer when you're being interrogated. Um, the police understand that they have to follow the rules. Otherwise all the evidence might be inadmissible. Right. And so I'm guessing that these producers understand that line of, okay, we're not saying that you have to, but, da, 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 da. and if you don't have the education, if you don't have an advocate, if you don't have oversight, you can imagine someone like Irina just going, uh, okay, I guess I, I'll go. And the conversation and everyone, okay, great. You know, and now everyone's happy. And, and yeah. <laughs> all you had to, all you had to do is give up your freedoms, you know, and, 
and yeah. they're no longer uh, subtly threatening you with the 50 grand. I mean, I would love to see this show actually successfully apply that fee to somebody. I just can't imagine. Yeah, mm. that it would never being, happen. I can't imagine that being legal. No. And it would be the worst PR ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Davy and Goliath times 100. Yeah. And look, I, I think we can all agree Arena made her mistakes on the season, but I still think that, you know, she looked a lot worse for yeah. having gone through with Mexico. But, but what I think is worse about it, I actually don't even think that's that big a deal. I think that entertainment is a dirty business. Okay. And I think that production is driven to entertain. And in doing so, they need to have certain contractual elements to make that easier for them. What I think was really obnoxious was that she had to show up on that reunion show and not talk about that element. So mm. she had to show up basically representing that she did choose to stay on the show and she had to back herself up while she was kind of being ganged up on by everybody, except maybe Vanessa. She's <laughs> nice to all the women somehow. But um, I do think that that to me was the the most atrocious part. If that is true, and I don't, yeah, if it's true. we don't know 100% if this is true, but if it is true, that's the part where I think they crossed the line. Oh, so bringing her back and supporting that it was indeed her own actions. And she had to sit there and lie the whole uh, time and take abuse. Interesting. That to me was the worst part. Hmm. Do you have thoughts? I guess just to reiterate that I believe that there should be regulations, but you know, there's a line, right? Uh, I think the show should be allowed to do certain things. You know, someone doesn't want to go to the pool party, for example, Yeah. Uh, during the uh, <laughs> Mexico trip. At, I don't want to go to the pool yeah. party. It sounds so like, whiny. And they're like, hey, you know, you agreed to go on this show and you're going to get all these good things. So you got to play ball with this here. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's let's. And I'm just going to say, like, if you don't cooperate with us, we're we're going to have to take some kind of action because you shouldn't have come on the show if you didn't realize you're going to have to go in front of the camera sometime. You know, there's there's a line there. I don't know what that line is exactly, but it's not like the shows should just be like in a bush somewhere filming and there's no influence, there's no guidance, there's no trying to corral. I think that uh, there should be some allowance for that. But like I said, there should be regulations and oversight. Totally agree. I mean, no. when we heard about this ongoing lawsuit, I mean, on The Bachelor, you are sleep deprived and mm -hmm. you're definitely plied with alcohol, but you're not you're not needing running water <laughs> and you're not going hungry. No. Like some of the stuff they were describing, I was pretty horrified by. If you're having medical trouble, <laughs> go to ZocDoc.com. <laughs> Even if you're not having medical trouble, let's say you just have an... If you're not having medical <laughs> trouble, go to ZocDoc.com. But for real, even if it's just a routine physical, <laughs> I don't need a jingle. ZocDoc is your best friend when it comes to anything related to your health online. Because you can get connected with doctors who, A are in your physical area, B, who accept your insurance and you can filter your search by this. So you don't even see results. You don't even see doctors in your, in your search who will not accept your insurance. That's massive because not every doctor takes everyone's insurance. The biggest problem about medicine in this country is insurance. Mm -hmm. Why is it my job 
to be super educated, educated to the level of someone who works at an insurance company mm-hmm. to understand how to manage my medical situation. It's so true. Then the next level is you can see how that doctor is ranked based on reviews from other patients like yourself. And this is huge because you would look at reviews before going to a restaurant. Why wouldn't you look at reviews before going to a doctor? Can I tell you something? I trust ZocDoc's crowdsource reviews so much yeah. that I went to a doctor the other day who had 0.1 more than the other doctor. <laughs> 0.1 more. And then next level to that is you can schedule your appointment within ZocDoc. So ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, accept your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Go to ZocDoc.com Shandy and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com Shandy. ZocDoc.com Shandy. So Charlene... I had a care of trifecta yesterday. Mm-hmm. Personalized supplement in the morning, protein powder before the gym, and sleep before bed. Yes, and you were sent these care of products after you filled out their online quiz describing your lifestyle and health goals. Love a personalized product, truly. Mm-hmm. And for me, I know that I need extra iron. And let me tell you, when I did the quiz and then my vitamins came, there was extra iron in the little individual compostable packets. And we're obsessed with this protein powder. I actually get nervous when I see that we're running low on the protein Yeah, which powder. we kind of are right now. But because Care-of is a subscription service, I know that it will be replenished. It will arrive in the mail so I don't have to think about it which is huge. It would be annoying to have to keep track of all these things running low. Care of knows this and they just ship it to your door when, th- with the frequency that you desire. So let's say it's once a month, once every two months, they've got you covered. And since I've known you, you've probably tried a million sleep supplements. Yes, I have. And let me tell you, Care of's sleep, it just says sleep on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sleep. What more do you need? It honestly is one of the best supplements for sleep that I've ever tried in my life. And I can attest to that because when I can't sleep, which is rare, I'm a good sleeper. Yeah. I take that and I actually respect it because it works so well that I'm like, don't take it unless you need it. (laughs) I need it often. And let me tell you, it pays off. I love that stuff. So Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamin supplements and powders conveniently to your door every month. Go to TakeCareOf.com and use code SHANDY50 to get 50% off your first Care Of order. Again, that's 50% off your first Care Of order with code SHANDY50 at TakeCareOf.com. Well, okay, so that brings me to another angle of all this, which is the relationship that viewers have. Because let's be real, the reason why the production team of whatever show we're watching goes to these lengths is to create quote unquote good TV. Right. So what I want to hear from you is given you, you know, this is, this is what you do. You react to to these shows and you have a massive audience of people who are interested in your content. What have you learned about the viewers of these sorts of shows by being on your side of things? A lot of things, but the most notable first thing that I learned was people, well, how I learned it was this. I started making just reaction and I was just reacting the way I react. I I just, I didn't really at the beginning think anyone would care because this is back when my podcast was just a humble little podcast chugging along and I'd been doing it for 11, 12 years by that point. So, you know, we had an audience, but it wasn't big on YouTube anyway. Anyway, so 
I just put it out there and I just reacted and then people started paying attention. And then there were all these comments and emails and people making commentary about my commentary saying how wholesome I was <laughs> and how, how Mr. Rogers ish I am. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you this, nobody in my personal life describes me that way. So I, um, if anything, it goes in a different direction, but anyway, I, I thought, huh, wholesome, huh, wholesome. Okay. I don't know what that means. And then over time I started to get more comments and more feedback that they saw me as being nice. They saw me as being, giving people the benefit of the doubt, having, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not being mean, whatever that is. And I thought, well, what are other people saying? Cause I didn't know, I, I didn't watch reality TV really much until love is blind season one. And it was that first week in the pandemic when we were all locked in our houses. And what I learned was as I went into more of the commentary on these shows is just how, frankly, how mean everyone is and mm-hmm. how, um, yeah, just mean. <laughs> and the, the commentary is often like, you know, I hate this person but I hate this person less that it's like <laughs> everyone's hated every. And, and then, so and then true. it's this bit. So, so I, I have all these theories about it, but I don't know. But one of the theories, one of the hypotheses I have is that, you know, we're all walking around with a lot of insecurities and a lot of pain mm-hmm. and uh, similar to the playground in the sixth grade, once a victim of bullying emerges as a understood social role, then the crowd of kids who are insecure and maybe even everyone, because everyone has insecurities, allows themselves to vent and to get their aggression out and to um, elevate themselves through social comparison and pushing other people down. We understand that everyone does this. And so reality TV just provides this perfect landscape for that this perfect playground for people particularly with the internet to um to do that and everyone is has that capacity i have that capacity no one's above that but i think what i'm learning as i watch you know more and more of the commentary is just how much people are suffering mm-hmm. and how much need they have for some way of alleviating their daily pain mm. Mm. Even I find that's that, a very compassionate. Uh, it, it is very take. compassionate. I find that really interesting. Yeah, I agree with it wholeheartedly. I also think it works on the flip side, where if there is sort of a hero that they see, that they they feel like that's me, that's the hero. I love that person. Um, and like on our podcast, if we're recapping, we say anything even slightly critical about that person. Mm-hmm. We just like, how dare you? Yeah. You don't know anything. You're terrible. I mean, that's a paraphrasing. It's yeah. much worse than that. But it is very extreme. Yeah. It's, yeah. Ex- it's way over the top. Like, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like this, this isn't even a conversation that should be happening in any circumstance. Like, I think you're misunderstanding, but mm-hmm. you can tell that there's like almost a, a religious affiliation with the entity that we are slightly criticized. Mm-hmm. No, it's fascinating how, I mean, I, I went through this all those years ago, but I think it's gotten so much more intense, but Twitter was still around when I was on the show. And based on certain decisions I made or things I said, many of which, by the way, were taken out of context, or maybe sentences were stitched together that I never even said, you know, Twitter would come after me and it was the most, uh, 
powerless I've ever felt in my life mm. because you're also not allowed to say anything, right? You're contractually not allowed to defend yourself or say, I never actually said that. It's interesting. Sometimes I think about, you know, you, what you're saying really resonates, how there's a problem possibly with society right now. Um, you know, loneliness, loneliness ostracization, ostracization. Nice. Oof, just made it. <laughs> um, with social media. I, I wonder sometimes if you took these reality TV shows and somehow, let's just say the technology could be done. Let's just, just you know, suspend the disbelief. And you put them back in like the 60s or the 50s or the 40s. Would the stars of these shows or the stars or the, you know, the, the, the cast, would they be as famous as they are now? Would, would they engender such love and hate as they do now, as they would back in a time when people may have had a little more sturdy ground beneath them emotionally and oh and but i don't know if they had a mentally. sturdier ground beneath them then they, i think they, they just talked about it less mm, well in talking about it less i think it was more socially unacceptable to be not emotionally solid back in those yeah times. but i don't know okay all right so i want to hear what you think dr honda yeah those are all good points um we are on average in at least my cultural pocket uh, because we've researched it a lot that we are more emotionally healthy and open and um, we educate people better around these things. And we are a lot less connected uh, on a minute by minute basis mm -hmm. in the sixties, the, and who knows, cause we don't have a time machine. We can't experiment this way. But my suspicion is that what you're saying, Andy is correct. That in the sixties, people just naturally had reality TV that they were in. Mm -hmm, right, <laughs> they had right. reality in their lives. They had uh, neighbors and siblings, smaller houses, smaller office, uh, one car for the family. You were always around people, siblings and cousins and aunts and uncles and neighbors. And there was no inside. You were always outside with everyone. That's all. That's the only entertainment you could, you could entertain yourself with. And so you had reality among you <laughs> and with reality TV, if you showed it to them, they might be interested, but they had enough of that entertainment mm. value and connection and opportunity for, I don't know, just um, getting upset or falling in love or liking someone. Um, yeah. So that would be my suspicion, but you know, it's hard to know. Mm. Yeah. I mean that, and soap operas were extremely popular back then. But maybe for the real stuff, they're like, I can handle that on my own. <laughs> I got enough of that. I, give me the soap opera. I do the reality on my own. Okay. So since that kind of sort of, I think that's sort of, I'm looking for a segue here. I'm trying real hard. I think that sort of touches on social media, you know, our it did. commenting Definitely. on these people Definitely. and yeah, having a platform on You've which to do it. You've earned your segue. Thank you. Proceed. Thank you. Woo. Okay. So do you think reality TV and social media reward narcissism well we have to define narcissism um are I you love saying such a therapist i love it <laughs> yeah are you saying uh, uh, narcissism as in destructive self-centeredness right i think we're not talking about malignant narcissism i think more is what's the not malignant yeah let's have him define it yeah i want to hear yeah yeah just non-malignant narcissism well uh there's a lot of non-malignant narcissism there's a uh, healthy narcissism meaning that it's okay to be self-interested when someone says, uh, who should we give a raise to at work? Uh, you think it should be you. 
because right. you're in a healthy way, self-centered because it's you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are we talking about? Are you talking about, uh, uh, did you say social media or reality TV? I is- said both, but I feel like they're two very different questions. Maybe extreme in a way. vanity and self, self-absorption, like maybe narcissism. I, I think we get into trouble when you yeah, the word, the word narcissism because there's such a broad range and it's complicated, more complicated than most people use it colloquially. I think we're talking about, you know, extreme self-absorption and vanity and those kind of elements. Yes. I mean, social media has been understood to do that. Um, I think that we tend to blame social media uh, too much for the problem. The problem is related to a lot of factors that result in being alone. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have social media, we would still be very alone and very isolated and lonely and depressed and more anxious and all the negative effects that we see. Um, social media, I think on some level, both helps and harms that by harming it, it keeps us more isolated. There's more, more social comparison. There's more opportunity for cyberbullying. All this is understood. But if people are alone all the time, sometimes their only way of connecting with other people is through online activities, you know? So, and that's been shown in the data that for some people, they actually benefit from having more social media in their life. They feel more connected, you know, less depressed, less anxious. Really? Yeah. It depends on the person. Yeah. So the problem of loneliness is a problem related to the materialism and societal movements of um, keeping up with the Joneses, bigger houses. Everyone has their own car. Everyone has their own TV. Everyone has this uh, helicopter parenting, um, hyper uh, vigilance regarding child safety, um, uh, a de-emphasis on children, child freedom and, and having time outside with their friends to explore things on their own within reason, of course. So that, and also pumping everyone's minds of, uh, you know, there's a child predator and a murderer around every corner. And so, uh, everyone's going to die unless you have, uh, constant locks in your house and you have eyes on your kid at all time. Does that raise the safety of children? Yes, but there's a cost obviously. But in terms of vanity and self-destructive and I suppose other destructive self-centeredness, um, social media yeah, can play a role. Reality TV um, for the individuals. Well, like you said for yourself, Charlene, that when you came back, all you wanted to do was talk about yourself. Yeah. Because <laughs> the show, I'm guessing, encourages you to focus on yourself and to talk about yourself. Like crazy. Yeah. And so you could imagine, and I'd never heard that phenomenon before. And you, and it can explain maybe some of the behavior you see after people are on these shows. Mm. And for what it's worth, I always was the kind of person who prided myself on not talking about myself too much. It was it's the kind of thing that socially I would be very conscious of because it's it's something I'm kind of sensitive to socially. In fact, I would say one of my biggest social peeves is people who don't ask questions and who just talk about themselves the whole time. And it's not out of an interest of me talking about myself. It's more about like engaging in this conversation. So to have my ex who I'd gotten back together with uh, say that to me, I w- it was really, I, I'll never forget it. Like it made my, you know, it yeah. gave me goosebumps in a bad way. Well, it's interesting that you are so not that way. I, I would imagine a lot of the contestants who go on these shows are predisposed to self-absorption. And I wonder if it makes them more self-absorbed or they almost like, they like overdose on it. They're like, oh, this is disgusting. <laughs> no, I, I can't will, go this far. I know enough people who've been on reality shows to know that 
they either lean into it more or they stay the same. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Honda, we want to respect your time. So we're going to just ask a couple of fun ones at the end here. What is your favorite TV show? And separately, what's your favorite reality show? Uh, favorite TV show of all time? Ooh, <laughs> you didn't think that one through. You know, you could do of all time and currently and then favorite reality show. I'll just rattle off uh, things. Yeah, you could do multiple. (laughs) I love the Americans. The Americans on FX. I've watched that. Uh, You know, it's about the 80s Russian spies that are living in the United States. I've watched that that show uh, half a dozen times. Wow. Wow. Uh, I love The Sopranos. I love The Wire. I love House of the Dragon. I love... Uh, Last of Us, Severance was really great. Um, yeah, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you liked House of the Dragon, but you didn't list Game of Thrones. No, I, I like Game of Thrones as well. Uh, you know, just the ending was disappointing. Not, yeah, wasn't great. But uh. House of the Dragon, I loved because I'm a nerd for that world, and uh, and I feel like a lot of people didn't like House of the Dragon because you need to know a lot of backstory to understand what's happening mm-hmm. mm. oh yeah we loved house of the dragon yeah. there's a good some good dragon moments yeah too. <laughs> i mean dragons are cool yeah they, they gave the people what they wanted in yeah. the dragon department <laughs> that was it they took a poll of like game of thrones you were like what do you want more dragons all right how's the dragons let's do it yeah everyone wants more dragons okay oh especially that crazy huge dragon oh but this, his favorite reality tv show his favorite that. reality tv show oh um yeah i would say love is blind uh, I'm a little soured slightly by the, by the lying in this last season, but, but overall compared to other reality TV, um, and I haven't watched a ton of it. I find love is blind to be the closest representation of what's actually happening in my estimation. Of course I can't tell, mm. um, like with other shows like 90 day fiance, every conversation is, is edited Mm -hmm. Uh, extremely. And, and I can tell it's edited. Whereas with love is blind, sometimes they literally will do a two shot like your camera right now. Mm -hmm. And two people are talking. Another show that is actually like that was um, real housewives. I noticed that they would just have a camera and let two people talk (laughs) instead of cutting over the shoulder and constantly, you know, splicing things together because the drama is there, you know, and, and I think love is blind at least has a theme of trying to make, real stories, you know, actually depicting real stories in a, in a real way to some extent. Um, so yeah, I, I, and also love is blind is short, you know, the, it's only what 10 or 12 episodes and they edit it in a, just blazingly quick, you know, other reality TV, they string things out and they, uh, have these sort of slow moments in the season. Mm-hmm. I feel like love is blind. They, they take probably 30 to 40 episodes of entertainment, you know, other shows would do that kind of string it out. But Netflix is just like, they just cram it into this 12, 12 hour uh, thing. And it just feels like before you know it, the whole thing is over. You know, I I think that is better. It's, it, you know, it makes you want more instead of telling the show to (laughs) Get yeah, on with it. Get on with it. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen Temptation Island? I was just about oh, to ask I that. Beat you. I knew you were I waiting for you. that. Uh, which one is that? 
Oh. oh, you have to watch it. You have to. Okay. First of all, great host, by the way, Mark Wahlberg, friend of the show. Not the Mark Wahlberg from, you know, Boogie Nights, <laughs> the other one. Mark L. Wahlberg. L. Wahlberg. But it is, what season was the one we watched? It was okay, so good. Well, he, we don't have to get slow to down. What's the season? I, think, I don't know. It was around, so it was actually around before The Bachelor. It's super old. And then it went on this huge hiatus and then came back recently in the last couple of years. It was the second season of The Return. Okay. And... It's basically four couples, I think four, go and then they go live with like on this, you know, island or in this resort with like 20 or so of the opposite sex and they're all single. And, and they're very, just like very attractive. Yeah. Uh, you know, all, overly attractive. It's really kind of messed up, but it's actually fascinating. It's It was good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, highly recommend. Uh, uh, yes. Definitely check it out and let us know. Okay. So speaking of us saying that, what is your favorite guilty pleasure show? Wait, Love is Blind is not guilty? That's a different question. Love is Blind, not guilty pleasure? A different question. Okay, okay. Yeah. Favorite guilty pleasure show. I, you know, I don't know if I do a lot of that, but I guess (laughs) Darcy and Stacy is, feels like a guilty pleasure when I'm watching it. Okay. Okay. We'll accept that. Okay. Dr. Kirk Honda. We had such a great time having you on. This was just such a great conversation. Thank you so much for carving out the time with us today. Yeah, it was great. Y'all are smart. I've learned a few things. It's nice when that happens. Oh. (laughs) We fake it well. Yeah. Thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you very much. And have a great one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (sighs) He was lovely, as I knew he would be. I love how he's so calm. I can see how he's a therapist. Yeah. My therapist is really calming, and I really value that. Especially when I'm like, oh, I'm like, you're so calm and just calmer in your presence. I feel like that's part of the job. Yeah. Like you don't want to create anxiety before you even talk about the anxiety. Yeah. That was one of those ones where it's funny. I went into it thinking we didn't have enough questions. No. We, <laughs> and too we, many questions. we didn't get to all the questions. Yeah. Did there you, was one question I really wanted to ask. We, I forgot. I guess I missed it. But it was, do you think it's possible for a couple to have an authentic conversation with cameras on them? Oh, I think it is. <laughs> oh, thanks, Dr. Honda. <laughs> well, I only, I think that the reason why I didn't, it, isn't that funny? That's the only question that didn't get asked from this page. But uh, yeah. I, I guess it didn't make as big an impression on me. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to know what his thoughts were. I think it depends whether you know the camera's there or not, like whether or not you can physically see the camera. Mm-hmm. Obviously. So, so you, from firsthand experiences, you can say that you weren't significantly affected. No, by I was super, I was super affected by it, but I don't. So I think the tone of the conversation can be different, but it's still an authentic conversation. So what's the difference? I think the difference is you can feel a camera on you and therefore you are subtly self-editing. Okay. So there is self-editing, but you may really like the person or dislike the person, those feelings are there, but the conversation's slightly more... I think it's a little more stilted. Stilted is the word I was looking for, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, I, I now I'm sad that I didn't ask that. I do think it also depends on the personality. I think some people probably shine with cameras on them. Like They're like, ooh, I'm living, totally. people are watching my life. I'm going to be the most me I can be. Mm-hmm. And other people are just like, you know, what do you call it? A wilt? Uh, a, Wallflower? What do you call it when the flower wilts and goes away? What, what's that expression? A something like a wilted flower. A, 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 oh, damn it. Is it not a wallflower? It, it is. It, a wallflower is a co- wilted wallflower. Oh, okay, fine. Someone's <laughs> going to come at me for this, but it's definitely not. Uh, yeah, it's wallflower ish. Okay. So you wait, what's the point you're making? It may accentuate your 
existing personality. Like if you're a real like ham mm-hmm. and you love people watching you and listening to you, you mm-hmm. might actually be more yourself in the conversations. And if you're like a wallflower, um, for lack of a better word, you might actually shrink away even more. Shrinking violet. Oh, yes. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Silence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's easy for me to say because I actually do think it really affected me on the show. Like whenever there was a camera around, I was a shrinking violet. That said, I I think the conversations I had were still authentic. It's just they I'm sure they would have been a little more loose, you know, a little more relaxed, a little more true to me. And it's it's funny with this podcast, I've found because I'm the one in control of it afterwards. I'm totally my, like, I, like, it's like, it's not even there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, of course. It's I don't, funny. I don't think the camera's here right now. Yeah. In the beginning. Oh no, wait, now I think the camera's here. <laughs> Anyhow, let's discuss something else. Well, so he was great. He was exactly the kind of guest we haven't had yet. 100%. That was wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> no, I agree. It's like, it's this pocket. He just filled you yeah. know what he was oh my god i have an analogy because i'm becoming you but it was like we had this like really full set of collector cards or something mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. baseball cards or something yeah, he was the one that they purposely make very few of so you have to keep buying and the buying cereal and buying. Yeah, yeah yeah you're getting it in the box of cereal yeah, they trick you they trick the kids they're like oh i've got nine out of ten i'll just yeah. get a couple more boxes yeah. and i'll have the tenth no you've got to get like a hundred more boxes. yeah and actually tens of thousands of kids are also missing that exact same card yeah and that's how they make their money <laughs> And for that reason, the cereal business is evil. No, but, but seriously, he, though, he was, was the he was the puzzle piece. I totally, think. I agree. You know what he does? He does kind of what you do. He occupies very high and very low. Ah, you sing opera, and you recap The Bachelor. Mm, and Love Is Blind. And Love Is Blind now. <laughs> No, that's a great point. You're right. There's something very highbrow about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's complicated what he does. It's It requires a lot of introspection, a lot of observation. And I actually, like I said, I find it heartwarming that it appeals to people as much as it does, because I think that reality TV kind of, uh, it gets a bad rap. And also people who watch it kind of get a bad rap, although I think that's sort well, of fading. Well, what I think he gives um, relevance to is the fascinating sociological experiment that reality TV and specifically reality dating TV is. Mm. Like, even if you think it's like, what, trash or call it what you want, yeah. it doesn't matter how trashy it is. Well, sometimes actually it gets so trashy it loses its form. <laughs> yeah. But like a Love is Blind or even a Bachelor to some degree, it's really fascinating. doesn't matter how bad or trashy or... <laughs> Uh, if i keep using codes i can call whatever i want point is is that it's valuable it's valuable enough that a very accomplished and seemingly very qualified phd in psychology spends his time analyzing these shows Mm. goes to show there's a lot there there's Mm -hmm. a lot there for us to look at aside from the entertainment value and aside from you know people like wanting to vicariously live through love stories Mm. Something that I always come back to when talking about this stuff is I think that there is a responsibility on the viewer's part, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. You know, we we always want to blame the contestants for behaving in like ABC, and then we want to blame production for XYZ. But we are also complicit 
Sure. In wanting more drama and wanting to hate on someone and wanting to assume the worst in someone, not wanting to give them the benefit sure. of the doubt. Yeah. The reason why production goes to the lengths they do, and I'm not defending them. I actually think it's horrific, the latest stuff that's coming out about Love is Blind. But I think the reason they're doing it is because they always need the next big splashy bit of drama or villain. They want to make someone look as bad as possible to elicit a big reaction from us. From you. And think about this, because you remember, it takes two to tango. It's always the, the, um, I think, what was his name? Uh, Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message or whatever. He did, he did a lot of analysis of, of media okay. and how population interacts with it. It's, it was fascinating stuff back in the, I think, the 60s. Okay. But um, it's really interesting how the shows try to give us a lot of the things we want but we shouldn't want. Uh-huh. And I would imagine that if NASCAR... The, the company... Oh, this is such a good analogy you're making, and it's dark. It's very dark. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Oh, I know what you're going to say. But if NASCAR could make sure that there was a fiery accident in at least every other race, Mm. at least knowing that they could make it so no one would get hurt or no one seriously hurt, they would 100% do that all the time. Humans are sick. I mean, look at Squid Games. Squid Game? It was a singular game. (laughs) (laughs) The Squid Games. But seriously, I think Squid Game, the fact that everyone took to it, you know, or Truman Show, any of these, you know, it's like, it'll never reach that point, you don't think, but the fact that even a show about it or a movie about it is as captivating to us as it is says a lot. The fact is like humans love being humans and we've created this entire infrastructure around this make-believe facade of us being somehow on Morally, some much more yeah. higher level than all other living things. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, we love to be animals. Mm. We love it. We love any excuse to be animals. Like we'll go to a horror movie and be like, oh, that was so ridiculous. But really, we want to see the guts. Mm. We want, we get, not everybody. I, I get don't. it. I know you don't. <laughs> I know you're not a, a fan. a good example. No, it's a good example for a lot of people. These horror movies are the number one movies in America oftentimes until Marvel comes along. Uh, right? And you and the reason we want to see this is because we're animals. Animals want to see. They want. They want to experience vicarious carnage. Because we never get anymore to jump on an animal in the woods and rip it apart with our teeth. Mm. So we want to see that. And we're like, oh, that was ridiculous. But really, why do we want to see that? Yeah. What do we want to see that for? And that's just one example. <laughs> I do think that human beings like to do all the animal stuff. We love sex, obviously. Yeah. We love a good dump. <laughs> People don't talk about that, but let me tell you, everyone loves it. (laughs) And these are the things we like running around naked sometimes if no one's watching. Mm. It's just it's just interesting how, you know, these shows on a very nuanced and high level are giving us these kind of animal things that we seek Mm. in a very, very teaspoon fed way. Okay, I don't know about high level, but yeah, everything else you just said, I agree with. I'm reminded of how in Mortal Kombat you can turn on or off the blood. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you know that, but there's a setting. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, some people choose not to look at it, but they're I- just denying their own nature. <laughs> Sick. Okay. Well, that was very fun. Very yeah. fun. You're right. We, we got a, a, an exclusive, hard-to-find collector's card. It completes our set. And that's it. We're done. <laughs> Thank you for being a Shandy. This has been a great journey. And... Uh, We'll see you on the other side. Yeah, see you never.
If you enjoyed what you heard today, you know what we will ask of you, and that is to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Leave us Apple and Spotify reviews and generally, oh, tell your friends and generally do all the things you would do to support a podcast you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye-bye.